And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing, or in this case, pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Don't I know it. <laughs> I thought I was out too, and then you're like, no, let's do part three. <laughs> we have to. We have to complete the saga. The I don't got to do shit. The Michael man. Corleone saga. Mm. Anyway, how are you? Uh, not too bad. I had a really good dinner, and it was delicious. I roasted some chickpeas, and I put it in this salad bowl thing, and it was really good, and I enjoyed it. But otherwise... Oh, Pretty solid for the most part. Um, have a pretty busy weekend, and then I get to see you next weekend, and so yeah, it's uh, it's going well. But what about you? Yeah, man, uh, just getting ready for San Diego Comic Con at home. Um, I got a lot of live streams planned, a lot of content. Very excited about it. Uh, I get to chat with Shockwave, my favorite Transformer, so that'll be fun. Looking forward to that on Friday. See you, Decepticon. He is. He Ooh. is the evil mad scientist Septicon. I may not know much, but I know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the big old purple guy that's got one eye and he's angry all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not really angry. He's just he's just okay with killing, I guess. Doesn't he have like a boombox on him or something like that? That is a different guy. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> is that boombox? <laughs> that's sound wave. I ah. like shock wave. Oh, two sorry. different ways. There's two not, sides to every Schwartz. <laughs> not to be confused with seismic wave either. Right. <laughs> tsunami wave yeah uh but yeah all is well no complaints right on. uh live in large and in charge as they say uh so what have you been watching so i started uh the fear street trilogy and i did it about a week or two ago and i could not get through the first one it was abysmal um it was fear street 1994 the soundtrack was, I mean, great songs, but I feel like someone Googled 1994 music and just put as many songs as they could in. I think there was a, a stretch of 20 minutes where, I, I kid you not, they played probably 20 songs um, just for no reason at all. It was really weird. And uh, anyways, I was not a fan of the first one, um, but I was kind of invested in, into the continuation because they made it a trilogy that it was pretty cool what Netflix did. They released it um, week by week. So, uh, you know, you had something to look forward to. But the the second one was substantially better. It was uh, Fear Street 1978. And they go back and explain like the camp stuff. So it was very much a a uh, Friday the 13th ripoff. But I mean, I, I love Friday the 13th. And so I really enjoyed that one a lot more. And then finally, the 1666 was just like the witch. They kind of go back and fill in all those holes that were missing. Most of them. But um, absolutely loved that one. Aside from the horrible acting, there were some amazing kills and just a, a pretty solid series all around, minus the first episode. So if you have a chance, watch it. My, my, my biggest gripe from it, though, too, is it's very dark, like it's hard to see. And I, don't, I mean, I adjusted my TV, but it was I tried it on my computer, on my phone, and it just was really, really dark. And so it was really hard to watch. But. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. I watched the Loki finale and eh, it is what it is. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. 
What yeah, the, the Loki finale. <laughs> yeah. I was getting Matrix Reloaded vibes, dude, with the architect. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Then Will Ferrell when he makes fun of him. Yeah, I was like, eh, I don't know about all this, but whatever. Con- I mean, con- concurrently. <laughs> Ergo. Ergo. <laughs> oh, jeez. Ergo vis a vis. But it's, uh, it was one of those things. I didn't even get it. I like, I was talking, texting my buddy Josh. I'm like, so what happened? Who's the statue guy? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know forgot who, there were yeah. three people. I thought, forgot that there were three timekeepers. I yeah. literally was so just distracted that I had no idea what was going on. No, I, I remember. I, I mean, I know who it was. I just was kind of like, it felt really rushed. And it felt like they kind of shat on all the other storylines that they were kind of building up to. Because it's only six episodes. And I was mm-hmm. like, just send it home. But they decided they were... They wanted to play a little too cutesy and introduce this character that, you know, we we know. But it was kind of just felt like nothing happened during the, the final episode, but whatever it is what it is. Otherwise right. I like I liked the show. So, right, right. No, I, I know who the character is. I'm just saying that when it got to the statue, I was like, wait, what again? Oh, <laughs> what was the statue before? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like in, uh, yeah. Planet of the Apes. How oh, Abraham yeah. Lincoln is Mark Wahlberg's mama at the end. And yeah. it's a monkey. So I was like, oh, what's happening right now? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for because um, he's going to be the isn't he the bad guy in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp? Yeah, and then Quantum Mania. Yeah, WrestleMania. And yeah. then <laughs> we'll see. And then from there, I guess he's going to be probably the big bad for like down the line know, yeah. for Phase Four. But sure, no, he's from um, well, yeah. Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. right? Jonathan yeah, Majors. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's great. Atticus. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. I'm I'm picking up what they're putting down. I just, I think I just was in the right or excuse me, the wrong headspace to watch the Loki finale because I just wasn't wasn't gelling. Yeah, I didn't quite get it. There so, you all right. Well, uh, I watched Hot Fuzz, The Wedding Singer, Happy Gilmore, and a couple other things, but I don't remember what they were anymore. I, <laughs> I'm literally losing my mind. Uh, one of them was I ended my weekend with The Godfather Three, and I was not uh, excited about that. So let's just uh sorry <laughs> yeah that's okay it's it's fine i mean we wasted everyone's time with the godfather and the godfather godfather part two so now let's get to the real meat and potatoes where the movie really shines <laughs> with the godfather part three now originally this was a 1990 release however we did not watch that version we watched the godfather coda the death of michael corleone which was released in 2020 uh, 30 years after the theatrical release. And uh, before you watch it, at least on Peacock, there is a quick little snippet from Francis Ford Coppola talking about uh, how he made some changes to the movie and how this was actually the original title, but then Paramount told him to pound sand and that that wasn't going to happen. And it just became The Godfather Part 3. And so there you have it. Did you get that intro before your digital copy that you yeah, watched? Yeah, with FFC saying, yeah. saying like, these fucking guys, they wouldn't let me do my movie. But yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that cleared up a lot of stuff. And then I watched a video before we started recording that kind of explained the differences between the original and this one. So, right. but yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was enough time had passed for me to just recognize that the ending was different. Right. Um, I didn't pick up on any other subtle changes. It's just, it just been too long for me to care, uh, especially since I'd only ever seen this movie once. Yeah. It's the, o- the opening and the ending, but that's pretty much the, the biggest differences. Okay, cool. 
Probably should have write that down in my <laughs> in your journal. <laughs> care less book. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in your wish book. <laughs> uh, or I couldn't care less, rather. Um, yeah, my dream journal. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, The Godfather Part 3. Very excited about, about this movie and talking about it. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola, as you know, from Apocalypse Now, Dracula, The Rainmaker, Simple Jack, and The Godfathers 1 and 2. Uh, the film was written by Coppola and Mario Puzo. Uh, the cast includes Al Pacino, newcomer Andy Garcia, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, Eli Wallach, who is uh, the ugly in the good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> Joe Mantegna, <laughs> uh, George Hamilton, Sofia Coppola, and Richard Bright. Uh, critical reception is actually much better than the uh, original theatrical release. Uh, this is at a whopping 87% on the old tomato meter there, whereas... I feel like the original one was at 60-something, 68, 67. I don't remember anymore, (laughs) but up a whole 20%. So that's a good thing. Uh, As far as reviews, we'll start with a negative just to get that out of the way. Uh, Zaki Hassan from the San Francisco Chronicle says, Not enough has been changed to turn around anyone who already dislikes it. But in cutting out 13 minutes of runtime, the director has excised many of the small moments that made it uniquely memorable in the first place so there you have it then we have uh david elric from indiewire he says it's often gripping sometimes masterful and almost never betrays its history as the work of a wayward giant scrambled backing scrambling back towards respectability after a long decade lost in the wilderness wow whatever that means (laughs) (laughs) um so there you have it godfather part three um let's see here the budget was 54 million dollars it grows 66.7 million in the united states and canada opening weekend it did 6.3 million and uh this is of course is for the original release in 1990 and then uh, the gross worldwide is 136.8 million dollars so made some money people were excited to see it i think it was just one of those things that uh didn't uh stand the the test of time yeah yeah i mean honestly after because godfather is pretty amazing godfather 2 is incredible and unless just all the stars were aligned there was no way to top uh the godfather part 2 that's just just uh it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle three times yes and uh they tried which is admirable i suppose but uh i would have been cool without it so Mm-hmm. That's just one man's opinion, but either way. Uh, do you want some trivia on this motion picture show? Sure, there's a lot of it. Is there really? Yeah, there's a ton. And it's actually pretty good, most of them. So. Oh my god, look at all this. Okay. <laughs> Al Pacino was offered $5 million to reprise his role as Michael, but Pacino wanted $7 million, plus a percentage of the gross. Francis Ford Coppola refused. He threatened to rewrite the script by starting the story with Michael's funeral sequence instead of the film's introduction. Pacino agreed to the $5 million offer. That's funny. That's like so far for shit right <laughs> I there. Know. Oh, right. man. Al Pacino stated that he did not agree with the portrayal of Michael in this film. He didn't believe that Michael would ever feel regret or remorse for his actions, especially the murder of his brother. Now, it is the character that he is playing, but I just feel like, I mean, not that I'm old or anything. You know, I'm 41 years old, but I do feel like as time has gone by, I just don't have time for grudges anymore. I just kind of, I just live my life, man. And and I want, I want to be happy with everyone. And I, I just think it's too hard 
to be angry all the time. Right. It's way easier to be, be nice. So, I mean, Al Pacino knows Michael Corleone better than I do, but I think that as you get older, you start to prioritize what's important. You know, his family was already kind of going their own way and he wanted to, to be a part of them. And right. I think that that's normal, but maybe Michael is just cut from a different cloth. Sophia Coppola had to redub about 20% of her original dialogue for the final cut after a disastrous early screening for the New York press on December 12th, 1990, where many of the critics uh, acrimoniously signaled out her performance. According to an interview in Entertainment Weekly the following month, she said her greatest vocal challenges for the role were eschewing her Valley Girl accent and correctly pronouncing the name Corleone. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say sometimes I, we were just talking about this. Sometimes it's Corleone. Sometimes it's Corleone. Yeah. Even, even Al Pacino says Corleone in the beginning in that uh, that fucking fundraiser event. Mm hmm. And I was like, you see, it just depends on who you're talking to, how you That's say true. it. <laughs> That's the point that I was trying to get across. Yeah. Uh, so Francis Ford Coppola once admitted that he was still unhappy over the final result because of a lack of time to write the script. According to him, he had wanted $6 million for the writer, producer, and director fee and six months to write the script. Instead, the studio gave him only $1 million in fees and only six weeks to work on the script in order to meet the Christmas 1990 release date. We also regretted that the character of Tom Hagen had to be written out of the script because the studio refused to meet Robert Duvall's financial demands. According to Coppola, uh, with Hagen gone, an essential character and counterpart for Michael Corleone was missing from the movie. Excuse me. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I hate that he's not in the movie. And I always think it's interesting how it always comes down to money. Yeah. You know? It's well, like... This whole movie was made because of money, so... <laughs> I know. I, I think it's just it, it just blows me away that that um, you know what were we talking about a fifty four million dollar budget. Michael wants seven million, not five, right? So now that would make it a fifty six million. I don't know what what uh, Robert Duvall wanted, but he was pretty hot in the nineties, mm-hmm. and so let's just say it was also five million dollars. It's now you know well over a sixty million dollar budget, and you know Paramount says no. <laughs> And are they right? I mean, they got their money. They got they got their gross. People are still fucking buying these movies on digital and DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> so maybe maybe the studio execs were right. Maybe they don't care about who's in the movie. They just want to make their monies. Yeah. So something to think about. Um, let's see here. Where else are we at? Uh, Francis Ford Coppola made the film in part to address the financial problems that his... Uh, what is that? Zoetrope Studios had incurred as a result of the commercial failure of uh, One from the Heart from 1981. Another reason was that Paramount Pictures had agreed to cover the majority of the budget of Coppola's previous movie, Tucker, the Man and His Dream in 1988. And they really wanted him to make The Godfather Part 3. This is like, uh, well, I, think, I forget when we were talking about this, but the idea of that people being just... Uh, part of a studio for so long you know they sign like multi-contracts or multi-picture deals and so a lot of times uh, actors especially will have to do a movie that maybe they didn't even want to do uh, because they had signed like a multi-picture deal right and it's crazy when that happens yeah 
it's never the movies that they like either. It's always something that they had no interest in doing. <laughs> like Airbud <laughs> Six or whatever. Like, God damn it, I should not have signed on the line, which is dotted. The hunt for uh, more money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get to Tahiti. Vincent's mother, Lucy Mancini, is the bridesmaid with whom Sonny had an affair with in The Godfather from 1972. That makes sense. Yes. He's the bastard, as it were. Um, the initial draft for the film had Tom Hagen in it. Robert Duvall wanted... Oh, how about this? Robert Duvall wanted $5 million to reprise his role. Man, I should be in the motion picture business. <laughs> <laughs> Paramount Pictures turned him down. They said, fuck off, man. Uh, and the part was recast and altered for George Hamilton to play the new Hagen-like character lawyer, B.J. Harrison, uh, who was 100% a throwaway character, yep. by the way, by yep. two cents. Uh, the line of dialogue was inserted that to explain that Hagen had died several years before. Wah, wah. <laughs> That's too bad. But yeah, Hamilton's character is a complete throwaway. Mm-hmm. 100% a waste. Um, when on a writer's departure of the film created a major fuss I don't get to use that word very often. Fuss. On the set and in the media. Ryder did actually arrive on set to perform the part of Mary Corleone, but ultimately backed out. She arrived on set in Rome two days after completing work on Mermaids in 1990 in Massachusetts, but passed out immediately in her hotel room upon arrival and was eventually diagnosed with exhaustion. Following her departure from the film, several headlines were created about the exit, uh, either claiming that she was pregnant that she had a nervous breakdown, that drugs were involved, and that her then-boyfriend Johnny Depp was having an affair and making her crazy, or that Depp talked to, talked her out of doing the film so that she could appear in Edward Scissorhands, also in 1990. On set, writer's replacement of the, un, uh, of the untested Sofia Coppola was a divisive choice among the cast and the film, and more than one name player reportedly threatened to quit the movie. Meanwhile, writer still recovering, was threatened with lawsuits from, from several parties, including Paramount Pictures. However, Ryder met a lot of support and empathy from the cast, including Diane Keaton and Al Pacino, who checked up on her many times through those weeks. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Two days Hollywood. before, basically. It's yeah, Hollywood put a... the spin on things. You know, her character, the character of Mary, isn't in the movie a whole lot, mm-hmm. but... Her scenes are pretty critical. <laughs> They're very critical. And, and, we'll, and we'll discuss that in this because it's like that's his breaking point at the end. And it's uh, interesting. Yeah. Very weird vibe by all of it. Yeah. But so that's uh, too bad. Yeah. I, I think, and it's interesting, like in, in a, you know, what could have been scenario if Tom Hagen was in this movie and if Winona Ryder was cast as Mary Corleone, what would this movie be? We will never know, but that is a very fun question to ask. There you go. It's our, it's our dream sequence, basically. I myself am strange and unusual. <laughs> <laughs> so, Beetlejuice, that's a movie we should have done. I've uh, I've only seen it a few times, and it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I don't think you'll like it. It's not a Zach movie. You don't know Zach. You, you don't, don't know like what kind of good, movies I you like. You don't like good stuff. <laughs> I like everything good. <laughs> You know what? In fact, after doing this movie, you owe me a podcast. We're going to do Sicario again because that's a good fucking movie. <laughs> Sicario 2, Day of, Day of the Soledad. Oh, I love Sicario so much. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I'm sorry. I am done speaking. I am going to recuse myself from the rest of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just answer for you, basically. Okay. 
So uh, it's important that the synopsis, uh, that it be known that I took it from the 1990 version. Uh, It's what I found on Wikipedia, but I was able to splice it a little bit and do some editing and try to give the best uh, Coda Death of Michael Corleone version on here. So I might have messed up here and there, but you get the gist. So I think I wrote that. Yeah, it's important to note that the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Corleone is presented to the viewer in the manner that Francis Ford Coppola intended us to see it. So the film is edited differently and some scenes are placed in better narrative order. So that is why he did that. That's uh, the original vision. But um, there we go. All right. So here's the synopsis in an attempt to garner respectability and wealth for the Corleone family through legitimate enterprise. Michael seeks to buy the Vatican's shares in uh, Immo. Immobilari, um, an international real estate holding company of which 25% is controlled by the Vatican. With the help of his lawyer, BJ Harrison, George Hamilton, the greatest character ever, he negotiates the transfer of $600 million <laughs> to the Vatican Bank with Archbishop Gilday, who has plunged the Holy See into tremendous debt through his poor management and corrupt dealings. While in, while in Vatican City, Michael learns that several influential parties oppose the deal for many reasons, not the least of which the extensive criminal history that has tarnished the Corleone name. Much has changed. Michael Corleone is now approaching 60 and feels tremendous guilt for indulging in his ruthless ambition many years ago. Although his previous conquests have made him a very rich man, the thoughts of his children, Anthony and Mary, their future and happiness, and his legacy are the only things keeping him going. His adopted brother, Tom Hagen, is now dead. D-E-D, dead. (laughs) The Corleone compound at Lake Tahoe is abandoned and in disrepair. Michael and Kay divorced in 1959, and Michael gave her custody of their children. Michael has returned to New York City, where, where he is using his enormous wealth and power to restore his dignity and reputation in the eyes of the public. The violent criminal element of the Corleone family has been largely abandoned, ostracized by Michael, as well as the public which no longer romanticizes the gangster lifestyle. Michael has embraced corporate America, which is now more tolerant of Michael's nihilism. He has rebuilt the Corleone interests as a legitimate enterprise using the blood money from his gangster years. The thugs and soldiers from Michael's past, including Al Neary, have either died, gone into the underground, or have been relegated to the background, serving as bodyguards for Michael and his family. Michael now struggles between repairing his fragile relationships while trying to contain the violent criminals that are still a part of his decaying criminal empire. In an attempt to break with the past, Michael has created a charity, the Vito Corleone Foundation, in memory of his daddy, his pops. At a ceremony in St. Patrick's Cathedral, presided over by Archbishop Gilday, Michael is named a commander of the Order of St. Sebastian. Kay, who has remarried, attends the ceremony with their children. So that was a lot. But here's where we'll get into it. So following up on two of some of the most perfect films in history, it's not easy, you know, very, very hard to do. The third movie, this one, had some very, very big shoes to fill indeed. How, Justin, how are you feeling about Michael's business dealings with Archbishop Gilday? More importantly, is this the first... Is this first 20 minutes of the film getting you excited to watch it? It's been 16 goddamn fucking years since we had a Godfather film. So how are we supposed to get excited? Yeah, man. Um, So I will say I like I like in the this cut, at least I liked how it was a conversation again uh, between two people. I mean, we can throw we won't count Hamilton, but the um, Archbishop Gilderoy Lockhart or whatever his name is, he. (laughs) He's having the conversation with 
Michael. And I really like that. And I like how he's just so just like fucked. Like he's like basically ruined everything as far as money goes. Um, I like sort of the one-on-one that they have, but I don't really know what any of it means. You know, like with, it's only money. Whereas in the first Godfather, it was uh, a man's daughter was brutally attacked and he was seeking vengeance. You know, that gets my sympathy. Some asshole that just doesn't know how to spend money is, is different. You know what I mean? So I wasn't, I didn't really have any real interest. I, I like that they were having this conversation. He's in, he's, he's having this conversation with the church and that's kind of neat and all, but at the same time, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm like, who gives a fuck, man? Let him sink. He made his bed, let him sleep in it kind of thing. Yeah. And so, um, the thing about the the delay, though, in the movies, you know, the 16 years since the previous Godfather, uh, I I don't really have an answer for that, only because uh, I didn't watch the Godfather one or two until after three had already come out. Right. So um, the the weight did not exist, whereas like comparing that to, you know, episode one of star Wars to, you know, return of the Jedi, you know, that was the kind of weight, you know, I was right. like, yeah, dude, I'm excited. Whether the movie was good or bad, I didn't care. I was just going to see star Wars. And, and that excitement alone made me love the movie. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm curious how many folks out there that, that like my parents, I should have had this conversation with them because they remember seeing the Godfather in theater and the Godfather two. And, uh, I remember them going to see the Godfather three in theaters and, uh, I don't remember them being blown away. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, it's all right. You know, but my dad says that about everything. Yeah, it's all right. Unless it's like Guardians of the Galaxy or fucking Jaws or or Final Destination. He's just not interested in movies. It's so Final funny Destination. Yeah, like when the girl steps out and gets hit by the bus. That's like his favorite moment in movie history. <laughs> he's like, I haven't jumped like that since Jaws. And that's just, it was so funny. It's, that's, his, that's his jam, man. It's that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I don't know, man. To me, it, it's not. I want to be interested, but I'm not. And that, that's kind of a weird thing. I, I, that's, that doesn't happen too often to where I like all the people that are that are on my TV, but I don't care what they're saying. That, that's kind of a weird anomaly. Well, I think one really cool thing from them switching uh, that this talkie scene um, in the Coda version is we do get to see uh, Gilderoy Lockhart kind of strong arm Michael in a certain sense where Michael's like, you're going to get 500 million, even though, you know, you owe 700 million and you're going to give me all these shares. And then he's like, he finally acquiesces and he goes, well, 600 million. He's like counter offers. And Michael normally in that situation, he would have said, that's my offer. You're, you're taking it or leaving it. You know, he's like 500 million or that's it. But in this one, he explains about the enormous wealth that he can get. And so Michael kind of just nods and he accepts it. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think it sets up Michael, um, for as a softer kind of Don, like Don Vito, as he got older in age, he became softer, according to the other uh, heads of the families. So, I mean, that's just something that I thought was interesting. Um, it is. But I mean, when they're talking about writing a check for whatever, half a billion dollars. Yeah. It's like, how much more money do you need, guy? Uh, <laughs> it just seems kind of weird. I don't know. It's, I, I don't get it. Well, I mean, I greed, man. That's what ruined his family last time. That's what ruined as a part two. He got ruined because of greed. He wanted power, power yeah. and money. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems silly to me. Yeah. But uh, 
Cool. Well, moving on. At the lavish party following the ceremony, Kay and Michael have an uneasy reunion where she tells him the award and ceremony were a shameful display given his history of violence and greed. Anthony tells his father that he is going to drop out of law school to pursue a career as an opera singer. Kay supports his choice, but Michael disagrees, wishing that his son would finish law school or join the family business. Michael eventually acquiesces to Anthony's wishes. So Michael clearly seems like he's seen some shit. All right. Does Michael seem off to you? Um, And specifically, I'm speaking to this scene where he's talking with Kay. He doesn't seem like the cold hearted Michael Corleone we've we've known to grow in love. (laughs) But uh, what are your your first impressions of him in The Godfather 3? Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. He does seem different. Um, You know, he he seems more like a concerned parent, uh, but in a weird way, like my, my kids are making the wrong choices kind of way. Like where you've had that discussion with your parents where you're like, Hey, I want to go on this trip or I want to go on this vacation or I want to go to this school, not that school. I don't want to go to school. Um, you know, it was more like he was talking down to his kids because he had all the answers in a weird way. If that makes sense. And I, I really, I, I get what, now that I read that, that trivia about how this isn't how, Al Pacino wanted to play the character that makes a little bit more sense because he is more like this, this, this weird guy. That's just like, Hey, why don't you do this? And they're like, no, I don't want to be put up with this shit for 20 years or whatever. And so it is kind of strange. Like, um, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it as I was watching it. So it, I think it was literally that trivia that was more of a light bulb moment for me. Yeah, he definitely seemed off he definitely seemed a little more nervous or anxious or just something i mean Kay kind of called him out on it and it's like you never change all that kind of stuff so he yeah. didn't seem very menacing in my opinion yeah and he wasn't and like you know he anthony is you know trying to tell his like hey uh, i'm gonna drop out of school and he's like what the fuck man he's like which is interesting because michael did the exact same thing yep michael dropped out of college to go pursue something else uh, in his case it was to sign up for the marine corps but um it is interesting that he wasn't sympathetic to his son and understanding. He's like, well, what happened? The first thing is, well, what happens when you don't make it? Yep. Right. That's what every parent says when, I mean, I'm generalizing, but in movies, it's when, when there's a child in a movie that wants to go off and be famous. The first thing the parent says is, what if you don't make it? And you can't have that attitude because it's always the people that are successful are the ones that have nothing to lose. If you have something to fall back on, you're not going to give it your all. I honestly believe that. Yeah, I honestly think if there's a safety net, then you are more likely to quit. And that's exactly what this law degree would be. I'm sure it's a good thing to have a law degree. I mean, I I can't argue that. But I think if he does, then that's sort of that fork in the road where you make your decision. And you're like, well, maybe I'll just go ahead and do this. Or there's always next year or always next time. When you piss all that away and you say, fuck it, I'm going to go do this. And that's all there is to it. Then I think you have a much better chance of being successful. Yeah, agreed. Very well said. All right. Well, meanwhile, Vincent Mancini, uh, Sonny Corleone's illegitimate son, with Lucy Mancini, shows up at the party. He is embroiled in a feud with Joey Zaza, the uh, Corleone family's enforcer who has been running the Corleone family's crime businesses in New York. What remains of the old Corleone criminal empire is now under Zaza's stewardship. 
However, the Corleone's old neighborhood in New York's Lower East Side is in ruins, ruined, and has become <laughs> lawless. In Michael's study, Vincent and Zaza tell him about their food, their feud. The discussion grows violent, with Vincent accusing Zaza of um, being an out-of-control monster who mocks Michael behind his back. Michael says that he is no longer involved in mafia affairs and that whatever bad blood exists between Vincent and Joey Zaza is none of his business and must be settled between only them. He asks the two men to make peace with one another. The two men embrace, but Zaza insults Vincent by calling him a bastard. In rage, Vincent bites off part of Zaza's ear. Zaza is escorted out and Michael scolds Vincent for his violent ways. However, impressed by Vincent's loyalty, Michael agrees to take his nephew under his wing. The party concludes with a family picture where Michael asks Vincent to join the rest of the family. So, Justin, despite how many critics were let down by this movie, there are some pretty excellent um, and exciting performances. And I am a fan of Andy Garcia as Vincent in this role. The bastard son um, emulates his father, Sonny, immaculately. What were your original thoughts on Vincent? Did you think he would be loyal to Michael or would he eventually betray him and be a hothead like his father? <laughs> yeah, I, I always like Andy Garcia. He's, he's fun. And, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I, I watched a lot of his movies and I really enjoyed them. He actually dies in a lot of his movies. Throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, I liked him as as Vincenzo. I thought he was great. Um, I, I like the the hothead. You know, the unpredictability that like when he bit the dude's ear out, when he bit uh, Joe Mantegna's ear off, I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, whoa, I like this guy. You, you're good, you. And so uh, I was on board. I, I like almost anything Andy Garcia does. So um, it worked for me. I never, never did I think that he was ever going to betray Michael. I think that he wanted to be by his side. Uh, he wanted to be, you know, his go-to guy. And uh, I think it works. And, I, and even Michael is pretty pretty keen on that idea like yeah this guy's pretty crazy and he's not afraid of anything so he would be a good one to have by my side he's like i think that's i think that's obvious like a tech dog and and also um you know connie is very supportive of Mm -hmm. uh, vincent uh she's like his best cheerleader and and the relationship between michael and connie has definitely grown off screen you know she she left that horrible life behind at the end of Godfather two and, and, you know, wanted to be by his side and, and take care of him. And she's clearly been doing that over the course of these last nearly 20 years. And, uh, and it shows, you know, she's very much a part of, of his decision-making. Right. I think it is important to know that when Connie is comforting Michael, uh, after like towards the end of the movie, when she gives him his insulin, she explains about Fredo and she's like, it was just so tragic that he drowned and he fell off the boat and stuff. So I believe that she is under the guise that, uh, you know, Fredo died in a drown in, in a fishing accident and it was completely circumstantial. And Michael's been lying. I mean, she doesn't know Michael's been lying to her this entire time. So I think there's a lot that goes in with just that line itself where it's like, oh, shit, that's what she believes. Michael has never told her the truth. I mean, right. Kay knows she's like. You know, you killed your brother, basically. And um, I mean, because obviously she's not an idiot, but I don't know. It's I think that's that's that says a lot about Michael, even though that this whole film he's trying to change, he still has to atone for his sins. Right. Which I mean, we'll get into. Yeah. But I mean, 
that's that's just it, right? He's always going to be who he is until he can get past that. And right. uh, I don't know how you get past something like that. And I think Connie maybe has an affinity for Vincent because she's lost two brothers. Uh, you know, this is her only other brother and this is her her dead brother's child. So it's like that's a part of Sonny. And he, right. was, he was always a protector. He always he took care of me. He beat the shit out of Carlo when he beat the shit out of me and all that kind of stuff. So he was always he's always the good one. Mm hmm. 100%. But uh, anyways, the night or, or that night, two men break into Vincent's apartment after Vincent has spent the night with a female journalist named Grace Hamilton, who he picked up at the party. Using Hamilton as bait, Vincent brutally kills one in order to frighten the other into revealing Zaza as the man who sent them. Vincent then ruthlessly kills the second man. Don Altobello, an elderly, elderly New Altobello. York, Altobello, an elderly <laughs> New York mafia chief, tells Michael that his old mafia partners, members of the commission, uh, want in on the immobiliary deal. A meeting is arranged in Atlantic City, and Michael appeases most of the Dons with generous payoffs from their casino days from his own massive fortune. Zaza, however, gets nothing. Furious, he declares that Michael is his enemy and tells everyone in the room they must choose between him and Michael. Zaza storms out of the meeting, but Don Bell Altobello runs after him to talk him into coming back. Minutes later, the doors are all sealed and a helicopter hovers above the conference room and sprays a barrage of bullets through the ceiling windows. Almost everyone is killed but Michael Vincent and Michael's longtime bodyguard and capo regime Al Neri. They all manage to escape. Back at his apartment in New York, as Michael considers how to respond to this hit, with Vincent advocating Zaza's murder, Michael realizes that Altobello authorized the attack and he suffers a diabetic stroke and is subsequently hospitalized during hospitalized during the attack in a near delirium. Michael screams out the name of his brother, Fredo, whose murder he had ordered some 20 years earlier. OK. So what was funny about the about the helicopter part that you laughed at? Oh, just as, like, hey, let me go get him. I will be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you go dying on me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Harry. I will get him. <laughs> exactly. So, Justin, up until this point uh, in the films, we have always seen Michael in control of his situations. How did he t appear to you at this moment? For all intents and purposes, over this past hour, he has changed and gone legitimate. Um, but after this shooting, we kind of see him. We see him yell for the first time and whatever. But uh, he says the old ways are gone and he wanted out. Do you buy that or is he just whistling Dixie? You know, I don't know. Part of me feels like he wouldn't have cared if he got shot <laughs> in that helicopter scene. It was kind of weird. And uh, I don't know, because I feel like. He kind of wanted to live, but at the same time, he wasn't like ducking too low. <laughs> like, does he want to get hit by bullets? Can he not duck too low? I don't understand. And so um, I did think that that was a little weird, uh, to be honest for, with you. But I mean, this whole idea of, you know, I wanted to go legitimate. And, you know, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Um, I, I think that's more for us than for anyone. Like, we don't want to see a legitimate Corleone. We want to see him fucking kicking ass and taking names and 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 breaking necks and cashing checks because he needs half a billion dollars to buy out this church <laughs> <laughs> and so i don't know the whole movie has me just thrown like i don't get it like i don't understand this the, the story at this point you know i'm just like what the fuck is happening why who's trying to kill him who's trying to kill all these people in this room i know it's the guy that just left but i mean why what's the end game here you know what i mean like it, it like in two had 
mystery to it, right? We didn't understand what was happening and why it was happening. So I'm on board. I'm like, okay, whatever. This will all come into play eventually. But even when it did, I didn't even think the payoff was even remotely interesting. So uh, I'm kind of torn at this point. Right now, I have no idea what's going on other than uh, there is a boss out there that wants all these people dead. Joe Montana is saying, I made a lot of money for you fucks and you guys shortchanged me. And that's fine. What's done is done. I'm going to go. I'll be back. And then <laughs> I'm going to go borrow this helicopter on the roof. And then and then everyone dies. So, I mean, it just seemed like way too obvious and 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 rushed for me to really care. I don't know. But that's just me. Yeah. I mean, they explained in the kitchen that Michael says, you know, this is the way it is. The the, the new guys, the young guys push out the old guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, Michael's obviously still really smart. I mean, for me, I thought it was pretty clear cut. He just wants he wants a legitimate business. He wants out of the casino game. He sold all his interest in it and his, his shares and all that kind of stuff. He wants to make money by owning the immobiliary. And he wants to do it legit with. Um, but what's illegitimate about owning casinos in a gambling state? Well, exactly. I, I think I think because there's a lot of other stuff. And I mean, like like in the movie Casino, all, all this shit that happens behind the scenes is what he's trying to get out of. And I mean, you're going to find that in any big business. That's that's. Yeah, so why doesn't he just open up a 7-Eleven? Yeah, and that's I, the only uh, way it's going to work. He needs yeah, his own yeah. store with his own inventory and his own employees. It's oh, the man. only way that that's going to work. Even if he is the owner of some big conglomerate like this, the same shit is happening. Yeah. It's still it's still a bunch of, of of puppet masters with their strings making shit happen, and they're going to cheat any way they can uh, to make the most money that they can. So right. it's it's a, a whack-ass pipe dream. It's, it's never going to happen. It, so- it is it is impossible. I think I think part of it, too, though, is he was trying to do that by himself. But then um, homeboy uh, Don Altabella was like, oh, no, no, my friends want to wet their beak a little bit. And they 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 want to be investors. And he meets with them. I mean, I don't know if necessarily he was going to say, hey, you can join me. He gave him money and that could have just been like, you know, take this and fuck off. Because I think that's what he says. He's like, I'm going to do this by myself, but I have a surprise for you. Here's your earnings. Um and so I think that's kind of what he wanted to do is separate himself from himself from the crime family. But once you're in, you can't really get out. And he did disrespect Zaz, but obviously he had that helicopter planned well before, because even if he got the money, that helicopter is still coming. It's not like he has one on, on speed dial ready to go. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I, I grasped, I was still grasping the movie at this point. I wasn't super confused. I mean, I didn't like that. It was so, linear um compared to the godfather 2 which you're right it was like wait what it was so convoluted and complex that i was just i was like okay i'm sticking through it because this is really really good but i am just very confused on what the plot is right so i think where my confusion was was there was nothing to be it was weird because like we know that joe mantegna is the bad guy we know that eli wallach is the bad guy like they're not even trying to hide it (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's why i'm like i don't i don't get it we're uh, 30 minutes in this movie and we already know who's out to kill everybody this is kind of dumb yeah <laughs> i guess yeah i mean that makes sense so I, I can see i can see why that could be confusing i mean that might be and, why and for what i mean they're trying to it's not like he's trying to stop them from doing anything he gave them all this money from the casino all their halves everyone that invested he's like hey guess what i'm done here's your money go find something else to do like he did that in the most respectful way possible. Yeah. Everyone that invested in him and his business all got generous payouts. Totally. So it, it's yeah. just 
everyone except for uh, Joe Mantegna, the the young guy. Uh, he's the one that's that's spurned and mm-hmm. upset. Well, but I mean, if you have a helicopter on standby to shoot everybody, it's not like he was. I feel like that was always going to be the plan. He wasn't going to be like, oh, yeah. hey. That's what I was saying. Yeah, we we just second. Let me just see if I get some money first. <laughs> just no, keep, yeah. Well, I, I take a couple laps around the building up there, and then yeah. I'll let you know. So it's like, come on. Exactly. Well, continuing. Um, so though they are cousins, Vincent and Mary begin a romantic relationship, and it's really weird. Unbeknownst to Michael, Vincent, and uh, unbeknownst to Michael, Vincent, with the urging of his aunt. Connie, who is now acting as Michael's unofficial consigliere, plots revenge against Joey Zaza. During a street fair similar to the scene in The Godfather Part 2, Vincent Nothing and... like it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Vincent and his accomplices kill Zaza's bodyguards, and Vincent, disguised as a mounted New York police officer, murders Zaza himself. Michael, still hospitalized, berates Vincent when he finds out, but Vincent insists that he got the go-ahead from Al Neary and Connie. Michael insists that Vincent end his relationship with Mary because his involvement in the family puts Mary's life in jeopardy. So let's discuss the elephant in the room, Sofia Coppola. She is a fantastic director. She helmed films like Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides. But it's pretty universally apparent that Francis Ford Coppola's nepotism or sorry, Francis Ford Coppola's nepotism got the best of him. And unfortunately, Mary Corleone's character suffered because of it. Did Sophia have any quality scenes in your opinion? We know Winona Ryder was supposed to play Mary. So do you think that would have uh, been the correct choice? And then finally, how do you feel about the odd cousin love aspect? Yeah, it's a little weird. Um, but yeah, you're right. Sofia Coppola is, is a you know tremendous director. She has a lot of soft focus shots. Yeah, yeah, she likes that soft focus. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, am I blind? Why, why can't I see anything? Like Lost in Translation, I have no idea what the fuck happens in that movie visually. <laughs> I can listen to it like a radio show, but it's just such a blurry mess to me. Um, but um, I do think that she had a couple of good scenes. Uh, I really like it when, towards the end, when when Annie Garcia tells her that he can't see her anymore, um, I think she she pulls off the the broken hearted teenager pretty well. Um, and then the the final shot on the stairs where she's just like, "Dad, <laughs> I, I kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know why. I just do. I just think it worked." Um, but uh, you're right. She's she's new to acting, so I mean, and she's gonna have a pretty big spotlight on her because you know, everyone wanted to see this movie and everyone's excited about it. And if she doesn't have the craft, then sure, they're going to be quite vocal about her performance. And that's sad. I mean, I don't want anybody to be mean to to anybody, but um, I I don't think that the problem of this movie is Sofia Coppola. I think that there's a thousand other things wrong with this movie and why I don't like it. So interesting. uh, I would not blame her for this train wreck of a motion picture show. I think we, we kind of talked about it earlier. She plays a she's she's an important character in this film, and it just seems like she's a straight to DVD actress. And I get it. It's her first movie, but surely there had to be an, uh, other actors out there. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just a coincidence that he's like, oh, yeah, my daughter can do it. I mean, that just mm-hmm. seems so odd to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess there was a lot of uh, infighting from the cast who were kind of like, this is bullshit. 
she just, I, she, I, I was never sold on anything she did. And so that's why her death at the end, I'm just like, eh, yeah, I mean, sucks, but <laughs> yeah, it should be a lot more dramatic. I didn't feel a connection between her and Michael very much. And the whole cousin, right. lo- the cousin love thing was so weird. It just, I don't know what it was. He's like your first cousins. And she's like, yeah, well, I, I first love him or something. And I'm like, oh, that's gross. I don't like, I don't like any of that. Yeah, but that's not, that's not her fault. I know. I just she still write it. <laughs> th- thought it was weird. I know. Sure. I know. I know. But I, I, I do too. I, think, I, I don't think it's necessary at all. Um, if, if they're going to have, she's going to be a love interest to, to Vincent, then maybe he should not be uh, a Corleone by blood. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, 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 exactly. <clears throat> I think then that would work. You know, then it's still a forbidden fruit in a way because it's the Godfather's daughter and mm-hmm. it's not allowed. But, um, you know, she 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 should be happy with somebody, you know, but as this is a kind of an interesting choice. I, I don't get the, the the reasoning for it, but um, yeah, it's, it's a little weird. But I, again, I don't I, I well, I agree that Sofia Coppola's performance isn't amazing. She is not my biggest problem with this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, makes sense. So the family travels to Sicily. Michael tells Vincent to pretend to defect to Don Altobello to find out who is working, who he is working with under the pretense that Michael's disapproval of his relationship with Mary has caused Vincent to become disloyal. Altobello supports the idea of Vincent switching his allegiance and introduces him to Licio Lucchesi, the man behind the plot to prevent Michael's acquisition of Immobilari. Michael visits Cardinal Lamberto, a well-intentioned and pious priest, to speak about the Immobilari deal. Lamberto convinces Michael to make his first confession in 30 years. Michael confesses to ordering the killing of his brother Fredo. After confessing, Michael breaks down in tears. He is told by Lamberto that it is just that he should suffer. And although although he could tell Michael to repent, he knows Michael will not. Nevertheless, he absolves Michael of his sins. Touring Sicily with Kay, who has arrived for Anthony's uh, opera debut, Michael also asks for her forgiveness. As both admit they still love each other, Michael receives word that Don Tomasino, his Sicilian friend and ally of the Corleone family for half a century, has been killed, signaling that a new round of violence is about to begin. After the death of the old pope, Cardinal Lamberto is elected Pope John Paul I, which means that the Immobiliari deal is will likely be ratified due to his intention to clean up the dealings of the Vatican. The new pope's intentions come as a death nail, uh, to the plot against the ratification of the Immobiliari deal, prompting frantic attempts by the plotters to cover their own tracks. Did the Immobiliari MacGuffin do anything for you, Justin? Let's pretend for a second that the film explored more about Michael's conglomerate plans and expanded on this with more reasoning behind it, like like you want. Would you have been interested? Probably not, no. <laughs> but what if he was like, I need more money because of this, because the viewers are going to say, you know, why do I need this money? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, f- I feel like that this is based off of some real scandal that was going on with the church. Um, oh, yeah, probably. I think there was a f- trivia fact about that. Yeah. So if that's the case, I, I am uneducated in what that scandal was. Uh, so perhaps if I was more interested in that, then I would probably care more about what's happening in the movie. I think it's fun to sort of have that the, the fictional history stories that exist. Um, 
but like, you know, uh, a factual event, but adding a fictional character to it, you know, uh, something like that. But yeah, um, even when he has his confession, uh, I don't I don't buy it. It's not it's not for anyone else. It's for him. You know, he wants to feel better because so he can talk about it. But he's not having this conversation with Connie. He's not having this conversation with his kids. He's not having this conversation with anybody except someone that's not going to have any judgment on him. So whoop-de-doo, Basil. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to grow as a human by admitting, by this admission of guilt to someone that can't say anything. (laughs) Yeah, He might as well just yell into his pillow because it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, (laughs) It's a complete waste. Yeah. So uh, I think he took the easy way out. uh, I mean, I get that he feels bad. Um, And again... According to that trivia, uh, Al Pacino disagrees with this, and maybe that's that's why the audience isn't really gelling with it because it's a different it's a different version of Michael, and it's one thing for a character to evolve over time and on screen, but this is an evolution that happened off screen. Right, you know, he's he's already playing this character differently. It's not it's not the evolution that we saw in uh, the first hour and a half of The Godfather to the end of uh, you know, his trip in Sicily. It's not the Michael that we've seen in Godfather two, who just goes from better to bad to worse. Uh, this is a completely sort of weird reformed Michael that isn't connecting with, with me or probably the rest of the audience. So it's a little bit off putting and it's hard to buy, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I agree. I dig it. I mean, I, I might've been more into it, but, uh, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't even think this movie should have been made, honestly. But but so so. I mean, I I, I might have been a little more into I it. Guess. <laughs> Whatever. Good lord. Well, let's just hurry then. Jeez. No, no. Someone's no. got to go take a shit or something. Keep going. <laughs> we got a lot of lot of words I here. Know. Let's go. So Vincent tells Michael that he has learned from Altabello. Uh, Lu- Lucchesi is behind the plot against the Immobiliari deal, and a master assassin known as Masca, the man who killed Tomasino, has been hired by Altabello to kill Michael. Vincent wants to strike back. The Empire strikes back. But Michael cautions him, saying that if he goes ahead with such a plan, there will be no going back. Vincent insists on revenge, and Michael relents. He then makes Vincent head of the Corleone family, the New Dawn. In exchange for the promotion, Vincent agrees to put an end to his relationship with Mary once and for all. And Mary, fucker, whatever. The family travels to Palermo to see Anthony perform the lead in Cavalleri Rusticana, Formaggio, at the renowned opera house Teatro Massimo. Meanwhile, Vincent makes plans to seek revenge against the Corleone family's enemies. Interspersed with scenes from Anthony's performance are the brutal murders of the enemies of the Corleone family. Michael Corleone's theme, Halls of Fear, is mainly played during the murders, and here they are. Keinzig is smothered to death by Vincent's men. His body is hanged over the bridge to make the death an alleged suicide. Archbishop Gilday has the tea of the new Pope poisoned, and the Pope soon drinks it and dies. (laughs) At the opera, Don Altobello eats a dish of poisoned cannoli that his goddaughter, Connie, serves him. He soon dies silently at the opera as Connie watches through her opera glasses. Al Neri shoots Archbishop Gilday as he climbs a spiral staircase and flings the Archbishop's body down the stairs. Finally, Tomasino's bodyguard, Kahlo, 
approaches Don Lucchesi and whispers in his ear, power wears out those who do not have it, before stabbing Lucchesi in the throat with his own pair of glasses, killing him. Immediately, Kahlo himself is killed by Lucchesi's bodyguard. So, this is now the third murder montage that we have seen in these three films. How did you feel about this one? And in my opinion, I thought it was really exciting. I think the cross-cutting built a tension that made me slightly nervous for what happened. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So imagine if you'd never seen this movie. Were you scared at all for Michael that he was going to die? Uh, So no, I was never scared that Michael was going to die. I thought he was going to die, but I wasn't really scared per se. Like I wasn't nervous for him. I was just like, oh, here it is. This is it's gonna called happen. the death of Michael Corleone, Justin. It, not <laughs> I know. I'm the joking. first version I'm I saw was just called I'm the joking. Godfather Part I'm 3. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but I, I agree. I like the way that the murders were happening. Uh, I like how um, Gilderoy Lockhart is walking up all those stairs forever. I think that's, that's kind of cool. Like, I dug the spiral staircase. Um, I definitely liked how Connie was now calling Jeez. shots. Yeah. She's like 100% a shot caller and she's poisoning people. It's and like, well, why don't you eat up and I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Pills are good. <laughs> Pills are good. Um, but, you know, real quick, the whole thing with, with Vincenzo becoming the Don all of a sudden, he was... This is this is weird because he yeah. had his little moment to just go and pretend that he was someone else. He got to role play for a little bit. And then what felt like just minutes later, now all of a sudden he's got what what should probably be one of the end scenes of him becoming the Dawn. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so and we still have like 40 minutes of movie left. And so I thought that was just kind of out of place. I'm glad that it happened. I just wasn't expecting it to happen with so much time left in the movie. Right. Um that just seemed kind of weird, but yeah, whatever. For a big, for a big ceremonious theme uh, thing, it seemed very out of place, and I agree with you. It's like, wait, what? So why is he the Don? Because he did a good deed for you? Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's like because Michael's just tired, he wants out, and it's like, hey, you, you can do it. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you though. Yeah, it seemed kind of out of place. Uh, but yeah, I liked all the killings. I thought it was cool. Um, I felt bad for. The Pope drinking the tea, <laughs> a lot I of poisoning know. going on. I know. Um, which, you know, we have poison, poison, and then glasses through the neck. Jesus like, Christ. That was gnarly. Yeah. So the uh, Moscow was pretty cool, though, when he killed the twins. Um, it actually yeah. kind of threw me for a loof when he's like, hey, you got him or whatever. And then, whoa, he gets stabbed. Yeah. Those little twins look like they belong on like a like a romance novel or something. With <laughs> yeah, little- exactly. Fabio ponytails and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Long hair. There you go. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that this is probably the best scene in the movie for me. I, I agree. I, I dug it. Um, I really, I think, I think Connie stepping up to a new sort of role. She's a Coppola as well. Yeah. I, I think people forget that, but you know, you mentioned nepotism earlier and she, I I know. Mean, she's been <laughs> since the beginning, Yeah, but she's definitely a, a, a sibling of, uh, you know, Francis. So there is that. But um, yeah, I, I, this moment was the best takeaway. You know, you got Michael and crosshairs. You got all kinds of shit going on. Lots of murder and intrigue. Uh, there's a lot of pieces in play. And so this was more true to form to Godfather than any other thing that we had seen on screen yet. I agree. I enjoyed it a lot. But you know uh, what? I honestly wouldn't have not. I would not have been upset if Michael was 
uh, murdered in the opera house. Um, it's one of those things where uh, everyone's got to go. He's done a lot of bad. He did yeah. do his repenting uh, and he was ready to die. Basically, you know, he, he had, he had uh, offered up everything that he could to a higher power and he was ready to move on. So mm-hmm. if he would have died, then that, that would have made sense. But uh, you know, we're going to get to in a second. Uh, that's not the case. He's, he hasn't given up everything just quite yet. <laughs> yeah. If he would have died, it actually would have saved his daughter, if you think about it. So, yeah. But um, there it is. So, well, so Mosca, the assassin hired by Don Altabello to kill Michael, descends upon the opera house during Anthony's performance, killing three of Vincent's men who delay his opportunity. And the opera ends before he has the chance to kill Michael with his rifle. The assassin retreats to the opera house. Uh, facade's staircase and tries to shoot Michael there. Mary is confronting her father about the forced breakup with Vincent when Mosca fires. He shoots Michael in the shoulder and then hits Mary in the chest. She dies calling out to her father. Vincent then kills the assassin. As Kay cradles Mary's bloody body in her arms, Michael screams with primal pain and rage. The scene devolves to a short montage of Michael's memories, the first being a dance with Mary and the second being a dance with his deceased first wife, uh, (laughs) Apollonia, and the last being a dance with Kay when they were married. The film ends in an unspecified year, showing an aged and broken Michael seated in the front yard of Don Tomasino's Sicilian villa. He slowly puts on a pair of sunglasses. Uh, a small dog sniffs around him as the intermezzo from Cavallari Rusticana revolves to a high F major chord. And that, my friend, is the end of The Godfather Part 3 finally. What a ride, question mark. <laughs> yeah, a ride. I basically, kind of a ride. <laughs> I basically took your your uh, your thing from Godfather 2 Part 2 because it's very, it's interchangeable between this movie and Godfather Part 2. So. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, but it is interesting because uh, in the theatrical release, he dies, right? Like he has like a stroke or some shit and or a heart attack yes. and falls yes. out of his chair and dies. Yes. So we don't get that. Instead, we get a, a, a lonely Michael Corleone. And that's what we talked about in, in previous versions where, where Vito and Michael's lives paralleled so much in their rise to power. But then one died a happy family man and the other died sad and alone. Yeah. And we already got that at the end of part two. It shows Michael sitting kind of looking off in the distance and his hair is all gray. And I was led to believe like, well, He's going to die alone. That's that's him. He's old. He's just alone now. Mm-hmm. So I, I I didn't need this ending. It just felt repetitive and it felt pointless. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So what are some of your takeaways from this film series as a whole? Did this movie do anything positive to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. I mean, you know that I'm a big fan of gangster movies and doing hot gangster shit. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) But I think that this movie ranks pretty low on, you know, my favorite gangster movie list. And uh, I understand why you wanted to, to talk about it, you know, to complete the trilogy. And that's, and that's fine. Uh, And and it's worth watching just for the sake of completing the trilogy. But uh, that's something that I would probably do. Like I just did, you know, having, excuse me, a 20, 25 year gap in between views. And maybe I'll spot something different that I didn't notice the previous time. But uh, someone could say to me tomorrow, hey, let's watch The Godfather Part 2. And I'll be like, all right, let's do it. Let me just let me just block off, you know, three hour, three and a half hours on my calendar and we'll (laughs) we'll go. Um, Whereas Godfather 3, I 
struggle to find a reason to watch this movie. And even with this, this Coda version, um, you know, these 13 minutes that have changed or whatever the case may be, uh, was not enough for me. Uh, but I, I, I can completely understand wanting to complete the story, but I honestly think, like you said, with Michael just sitting in the chair, being sad and alone, that's, that's the end. Like, I don't, I don't need any more than that. He's, he's already closed the door on K twice. He's, he says that he has his family at, at best interest at heart, but he just fucking murdered his brother on a boat, and uh, he's not going to tell Connie what happened. Um, you know, everything he's gone the legitimate route on paper. You know, he owns casinos. He's done what he's set out to do. So there's nothing left to tell. Him going to into another company and and being even more legitimate isn't a story. It's 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 ridiculous that they tried to do this, and and I'm curious what Coppola's script would be if he could go have a conversation with himself in 1989 and say, Hey, you know, we have to make this Godfather part three movie, but here's what I want to do different. I'm curious what that would be. There's only so much you can do with recorded footage from 30 years ago. Right. You know, he, it is what it is. And so he's stuck with it. He can make fine tuned adjustments here and there, but uh, in a three-hour movie to make 13 minutes worth of change, um, that's that's not enough. It, right. it needs to be completely redone. Scrap this shit and do something else because it's not it's not working. Yeah. What do you like most about how this film was made, if anything? Uh, so I like there's a couple things. So I like how um, I like how they go back to Sicily. I like uh, the moment that Michael and Kay have together, uh, you know, where she's there in the car together, how he's kind of being like this, this Don Juan and he's make believe that he was the driver of the car and everything. And then they go around and have a, uh, like a fun little afternoon together. I thought that was sweet. And the two of them haven't laughed or smiled together in a very long time. You know, the last time I remember them having a moment of joy was when they were Christmas shopping together. And that's when he found out his father died. That's literally the last time I remember them smiling together, which is kind of weird. That's a yeah. pretty big gap. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't remember them having any real joy in two. Um, so that's that's it for me, man. Like, I, I feel like uh, a, long, a lot of time has passed since they've had like a sort of this this romantic moment together. So I really enjoyed that. I, I liked Andy Garcia's character a lot. I like how he was very much like his daddy and how, uh, I mean, he bites a man's ear off for crying out loud. That's crazy. He rides a horse. Uh, kids from <laughs> Texas, you rode a horse there, you know? So like, I think that's great. I, I, I like how he's in the thick of things, how he wants to be, you know, a soldier. He wants to, 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 to shake some mountains. And I think that that's cool. Um, so there are a couple of things that I did like. Um, and I also, I liked the, you know, the killing montage. I think that was a good one. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are some good takeaways, um, but that's out of a three hour movie. That's only three things that I mentioned and maybe five minutes of screen time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Did you notice anything new on this repeat viewing? I, all of it was new. I hadn't seen it in so long. I, the, the, the only, I mean, I remembered a couple of things, you know, I remember the, the sort of the banquet at the beginning 
I remembered uh, the killing. I remember the helicopter attack. I remember the killing on the street on the horse. I remember going to Sicily. I remember the conversation that we can't have this relationship together anymore. And I remember most of the murder montage. Uh, I couldn't remember for the life of me how um, Eli Wallach was killed. Uh, I, for some reason, I had this memory where he's like walking because he's the one with the cane. Yeah. And I, I swear to God, I had this memory of him sort of just walking out on the road by himself with his cane. And maybe the, and and him dying that way, um, and not dying in the, in the opera house. I don't know where I got that from. Maybe I, <laughs> I dreamed it, but I feel like he was just this. I don't know why he would not have bodyguards with him since he's such an important person. But for some reason, I have this memory of him walking on a on a dirt road with his cane. Um, I have no idea where that came from, but so the whole time I'm watching him getting poisoned and 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 Connie looking at him through the opera glasses and everything. Um, or binoculars, whatever she had, that that seemed new to me. So, <laughs> fuck, I don't know, man. Maybe because this is your favorite movie, and you think about it all the time. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I swear, I had a memory of him just just walking down a road, <laughs> like a like a Green Day song, "Walk yeah. a Lonely Road." There you go. Is there anything you can think of that could have made this film any better? And remember, we we are limited on time, so. <laughs> uh, you know, for this case, I don't. Uh, only because. Uh, this was a movie that I don't think need to be made. And so uh, maybe the conflict with Michael should have just been with his family and not with uh, himself. Um, I, you know, like coming to terms with Fredo's death and having to deal with that. Um, I don't understand the Yes, I need a more legitimate company because gambling is, I mean, in the eyes of the church, they don't want to be associated with someone that, that that's part of gambling. Right. And he's like, Oh no, I sold all that. I'm not a part of gambling anymore. Um, so that wasn't something that I was really interested in. But uh, aside, if the movie has to be made, I would rather him have conflict with his with his family um, than uh, him trying to just kind of cheat out of that conversation. Right. So uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli was my favorite line from the first film. Which line was a standout for you in a part trace? Um, I would say just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in is probably I agree. the most memorable. Uh, but I also, I mean, it's not really a line, but when when Vincenzo is with Bridget Fonda mm-hmm. uh, and he takes down those, guys. he lets her go get the water, which I yeah. thought was interesting. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, you don't care if this girl gets killed. Um, I liked how he took down the two bad guys. I liked how he shot the other guy in front of him just to show that he meant business. And then when he just murdered that dude, as soon as he got the information that he wanted, that was like some hardcore gangster shit right there. And uh, that took me by surprise. I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, whoa, this man is a no nonsense kind of guy. <laughs> and I really liked that. I think that was the scene that really made me like Vincenzo. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did he did shoot like unarmed people and everything, but uh, a character flaw, I suppose. But um <laughs> It was cool to see. I think it was just what the movie needed. He is the pulse in this movie. I agree. A hundred percent. hundred percent agree with that. So, Well, Justin, a big issue with this movie is that it seemed unnecessary. You touched on that earlier, but that's what I also believe. So let me pose this thought to you for just a second. I didn't think it was that bad. I think I liked this movie more than you did. Um, and I think it's because... I came into it fresh. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and I didn't think it was that bad. Following up from the two phenomenal cinematic masterpieces uh, that were The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2, 
it's a pretty tall order. And unfortunately, this film had 16 goddamn fucking years of hypothetical hype uh, built up around it. So like your parents who saw it in the 90s were like, oh, man, I'm so excited because this is like the greatest film of all. These are the greatest films of all time. And now I got to see number three. So Don Cavender, um, can you think of any films that were sequels, prequels or spinoffs that uh, had wildly successful franchise films that you were beyond excited for, but ultimately left you feeling emptier than a box of sweet tarts at a Cavender movie night? <laughs> and you touch you touch earlier on it, too. You said Star Wars. But uh, yeah. Yeah, let's expand more. Sure. So uh, I would say that episode one didn't disappoint me nearly as much as everyone else. I was, you know, 19 years old when it came out and I was on board and I, I didn't care. I, I, I didn't even hate Jar Jar. I, I fucking <laughs> had Jar Jar figures for crying out loud. I thought he was funny. Um, but I hated episode two. I think episode two is terrible. Sand. <laughs> it is the Devin of fucking Star Wars. Fire Devin. Fire is Devin terrible. Um <laughs> <laughs> Can't stand that movie. But then even even Force Awakens, um, I I just I can't I don't like it. I don't like it um, either. Um, the whole new trilogy. I mean, I love Rogue One. Rogue One is whew, it's it's close, man. Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. Um, I also love Return of the Jedi, and Rogue One is fucking dynamite, man. I love that movie so goddamn much. But I don't think that the I don't I don't hate the new trilogy or the sequel trilogy, but it doesn't you know hold a candle to um, you know the originals obviously that's that's not that's nothing new there's nothing crazy about that it did offer some new interesting shots things that i hadn't seen before mm-hmm. um so I, I i'm cool with that um but just as an overall takeaway i was very much hyped for star wars and maybe i was a little bit too excited to where it had an impact on my viewing experience i i don't think that there was a whole lot there i'm not mad at the movies i, I love star wars um uh, david put it really nice when he was like you know it's it's like even bad pizza is still pizza. So it's like, all right, fuck it. I'll eat it. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at with Star Wars. Um, but um, I think that's a pretty good example. Uh, Terminator is probably another one. You know, Terminator 2 is, is probably one of the greatest action movies of all time. It's yeah. We did a this whole thing on Geek Legacy the other day about uh, best summer movies. And terminator 2 was on this list and it was pretty pretty low on the on the list and david was like when you think of summer blockbuster was the first thing yeah. to come to mind. I'm like terminator 2 <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and uh i was completely i was like number 16 on this list of like 25 movies i was like what the that's fuck? crazy so, yeah so that's a little absurd to me but i mean they just kept making movies right terminator mm. 3 then there was uh genesis <laughs> genesis well, there was the one with uh with batman well, Christian Bale. What oh was that yeah, one uh, I don't even know the fucking Rise name of the that. Machines. No, I don't know. It was called uh, Three was Salvation. Rise of the Salvation. Salvation. Okay, yeah. so Salvation, then Genesis, and then whatever this last fucking one. Fate was of called. the Furious. I don't know. Yeah, it's called. <laughs> it called like yeah. Dark Dark Fate or something like that. Dark Fate. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I mean, each one just got worse. So bad. Worse. <laughs> so I mean, I can sit yeah. there. I like three. I like the ending of three, particularly with the bombs going off and it's yeah. just the end of the world. I was like, oh, shit, they went that way. And then and then Salvation, I just couldn't get into it. I tried. Everyone that was in it, I fucking love. I thought it was so cool. But I just, I, I built myself up for this movie and I didn't enjoy it. And then when Genesis came out, I, I, I had this thing where I had to see Terminator movies in the theater. And and I was so excited for it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Fuck it. It's Terminator. I like, I like uh, Khaleesi. She's in this movie. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and, and it wasn't. It so wasn't bad. good. I mean, it's Arnold so was the best thing in the movie. He was awesome. 
uh, I liked his attitude and everything. I thought he was fun. And then Dark Fate was the first Terminator movie that I hadn't seen in theaters. And and I was okay with it. Like I literally came to terms <laughs> with it, Zach. I was like, well, I don't need to see it. And so then I then it came out and I got it on 4K. I was like, whatever. I'm going to get the best experience I can in my home. And I and I sat through it. And I was just so disappointed in how bad it was. Yeah, I know it was really bad. <laughs> so I mean, there there are a couple of movies with long gaps. Um, those are the only ones that kind of come to mind. Uh, if you have any others, I'm happy to comment on them. But I can't think of anything else off the top of my head at the moment. Sure. So and I'll just I'll preface all this by saying the I like David's pizza analogy, but at the same time. If you do have a bad slice of pizza and it's something that just really ruins it for you, like you have a mushroom on there that you can't eat ever again after having that, then that's what happens. And and I think that's what happened with me with the Star Wars films is yeah, I was excited. I was like, yes, you know, new Star Wars. I got to see them. But when they shied away, like Return of the or Rise of Skywalker was abysmal. And I thought I liked it in theaters. And then as I saw, I saw it again in theaters. I was like that wasn't really good. And then I started thinking more and more and talking with people. And I was really upset how they, they massacred my boy basically. Um, so I think my biggest issue is when, when it's clearly a, a money grab. So like Indiana Jones, the, uh, the fourth one, which it wasn't horrible, but I also didn't really see the point in making it like even for Indy five, I'm not really that excited because with the gaps in, in, in these franchises, when they become so so vast and, and um, so spread out, I just don't, I, I think that franchises need to die at certain points. <laughs> um, like Toy Story, right? I absolutely love Toy Story, but Toy Story 3 was a beautiful send-off and they shouldn't have made any more. And Toy Story 4 was fine. I enjoyed it, but it needed to, it needed to stop. It's, um, we, we, our, our saga's complete, <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Lord of the Rings, same kind of thing. The Hobbit could have been one, maybe two movies max. And I am a diehard Lord of the Rings fan. I can't stand the Hobbit movies. I saw them in theaters and I have never seen them since. I was oh, really, re- I was really <laughs> like, so I know, them often. <laughs> I know I was really annoyed. I, I was excited for the singing. I was like, this is going to be so cool. And the amount of CGI in that film or just the CG that they, they did for the characters and stuff really got under my skin. Mm-hmm. And so did so, you see it in the 60 frames per second? Yes. Yes. Okay. Which was, interesting because i saw yeah. it i saw I like it that that's cool me too i saw it at the cinerama and so they have a giant screen mm-hmm. um and so that was cool it just took a little bit to get used to but i enjoyed it um but yeah i mean i you know that that's a beloved series of mine that can do no wrong and then all of a sudden bam and i'm like motherfucker i don't own any of those hobbit movies i don't even want to touch them they'll uh yeah They'll burn them on my voodoo. You can watch them there. You also have Fate of the Furious, your favorite movie on your voodoo. Yeah, that that movie (laughs) snuck in there. I swear I I didn't pay for that. (laughs) Yeah. So I I just think, I think, you know, with the 16 goddamn fucking years, that's this thing should have died and it's clearly a cash cow and this movie just is so unnecessary. So, I mean, what would you do if they made another Jaws movie? I know that I would watch it in a fucking heartbeat. Absolutely. But but are you expecting (laughs) it to be good? really i mean it, See, it, it depends I mean. like it depends if, if 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 my buddy denny was directing it then yes that would be cool yeah uh speaking of which like blade runner that's a huge gap sure. between movies right so mm-hmm. uh i mean that's that's like upwards of 30 35 years between mm-hmm. 
sequels. Um, you know, Alien is another one. I mean, Prometheus, I get it. <laughs> That's your favorite. I, it's your other fuck, favorite. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> and I love Alien. Oh, my God. I fucking, Super easy. Barely an inconvenience. I tried so hard to like this movie, Zach, and it just doesn't work. It don't work. It's supposed to work. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? It doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, Fury Road, that's another one that had a big gap. Uh, Thunderdome was 1985 versus fucking 2015 that's a 30 year gap yeah and i'm not saying it doesn't work it's just those i feel like those are anomalies it's it's really hard to again capture lightning in a bottle twice mm-hmm. and i mean thunderdome was okay it wasn't as as widely uh panned as you know as um the road warrior that movie was awesome and then fury road is just like holy shit it's uh it's right great. so i think i think what makes it interesting is that uh, with Fury Road, you don't need to have watched the other ones to understand what's going on. I think another thing, uh, like Creed, you know, it's part of the Rocky franchise, but yeah. it's its own separate thing. And I think that works really well. I think it's a, it's not necessarily reinventing the wheel, it's just building a whole nother wheel. Right. <laughs> the other yeah. one's tired, and it's got a flat, and it needs to be changed. And I think that Creed did that, you know, it brought new blood to the franchise while uh, at the same time, though, I would argue that Sylvester Stallone's best performances in the history of his life came in Creed. Absolutely. So I think that that, that is what elevated it to that other level. And Copland. Um, I fucking love Copland. Yeah, he's really so. good in Copland. Um, well, okay, here's here's an example. I forgot to mention that I watched it, but I watched the new Space Jam, A New Legacy on HBO Max. And everyone is giving it shit because, uh, well, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people are giving it shit online because that's what people do online. But they're like, Oh God, the first one's so much better. And for me, I'm like, it's a fucking kids movie. Stop acting like Space Jam was the Godfather Part One. You know, this is a kids you should, movie. No, you just did three podcasts on it. <laughs> yeah, like I really enjoyed a new legacy. I was laughing. I thought it was cheesy. The plot was stupid. They they took a lot of the same stuff and made some meta commentary, which was neat. But they took a lot of the same stuff and just kind of changed it up to a modern audience and. Yeah, it's not going to win any awards, but I mean, if I had kids, I'd be like, let's watch this. It was it was great in that sense. And um, that was a huge gap. I mean, Space Jam came out in, in the mid 90s and then, you know, 20 years later, you have this movie. So I, I think you, you have to you, you can't really continue the story arc like they can't do a Godfather four. You'd have to do something like you're talking about where it's Andy Garcia reprises his role and he's getting a new kid to do something to box uh, his rival son or something right <laughs> you know right, right and then al pacino is the trainer and uh all that stuff so i don't know yeah but anyways i mean uh, long story short this movie's unnecessary i think there are a lot of uh films i think people just love they're jonesing for the um nostalgia and um unfortunately people pay money to see that and studios know that so they'll just pump out shitty sequels so like pulp fiction 2 mia's revenge <laughs> yeah this is Mia Wallace. Fuck yeah, that. I mean, that's, that's tough. Um, but I mean, I feel like, uh, I don't know. We, we we mentioned some really good sequels <laughs> with delays. <laughs> yeah. And so now I'm like, okay, fine. The movie can be made. I just don't like the story that was presented. I agree. I think, <laughs> I think if this, this, the third movie could have been made, but in a different way. And I don't know if, if it's just me, but films in the early 90s, Feels so odd. Yeah, I know. I, I when I was outside, when I was like, "Hey, can we record tonight?" I was like, "What am I going to talk about in this movie?" It feels, <laughs> it's such a '90s movie that feels so '90s. It does. It's so 
weird. I was expecting the big cell phones and just it felt just so odd. I don't I don't, right. I don't I don't know. Like I was like that wasn't what the 90s felt like to me, but I mean I was only 3 years old in that when it came out, so What year is the movie supposed to be taking place in? I don't even know the I answer. I think to it's that. 1990. Is it really? I have no idea. 1979? I, uh, oh actually no, it's probably 1979. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, I don't because I don't even know when it takes place. Yeah, that's probably about right. So, but um, yeah. Anyways, man, that's all I have. Do you have any final thoughts and a letter grade for uh, the Godfather Part Three, the Coda Death of Michael Corleone? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have any final thoughts, but I, I will say that I guess I do. Never mind, I take that back. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I my final thought is that if if someone in your household wants to watch the Godfather movies. Uh, for the very first time, stop at two. I don't think that I think that three is uh, will just sour your uh, taste buds a little bit. I, I don't think there's anything to gain from watching this movie. Uh, if you just want to complete the trilogy, then by all means do so. But uh, it is uh, perfectly OK in my eyes to stop at the end of two. Uh, yeah. I don't think this movie is terrible, but. Uh, I mean, I did call it the Devin of movies, but <laughs> uh, Fire Devin, he's terrible. Um, but uh, this version, I guess I liked it more than the than the other. But I, it's hard to say. There's no way I could rewatch the theatrical release of The Godfather Three uh, <laughs> anytime soon to be able to compare the two. It's just not in the cards. Yeah. Um, but if I had to give this movie a grade, it would probably be a, like a C. I think I think it's a C. It's a middle of the road. Yeah. Um, and that's it's not a bad thing. It's just Hard to compare it to the other two. The other two are so goddamn good, so funny, so so tragic, and so beautiful. And this one is just a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that, that that maybe you're at a hotel and it's on TV and there's nothing else to watch. So you watch this. That's all there is to it. It's there's nothing to be gained by watching this movie. It is 100 middle of the road. I agree. I actually in- enjoyed it more than you, so I'm going to give it a B. Um, but I don't want to rewatch it again. Whereas the Godfather two, when I was done watching this, I was like, I should just put that back on in the background. I fucking love that. So yeah, this is a, this is a B for me though. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, man. Well, thank you for enduring that. We, we made it shorter this time, but uh, we did it. We're done. We're done with the Godfather. All right. <laughs> now we're, we're moving to your second favorite gangster movie. Corky Romano. After this. Oh, I like Corky. <laughs> That's better than Godfather three. Let me get the uh, pistachio there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do need to put some thought into what this next movie is going to be. Um, I I could go for a palate cleanser. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. I know you got a busy schedule, so we'll uh, we'll discuss that off air. But I am down for whatever. We will also take suggestions. But um, that's it. Do you want me to take us out? Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. We were doing some hot gangster shit on this podcast and the previous two. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Uh, We love the suggestions. Try to find a streaming movie so it's a lot easier. Uh, That way we don't have to buy it on the Voodoo, and then we're stuck with Fate of the Furious for some reason. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast where they discuss everything in the realm of geekiness. And that is hosted by David, Randy, and Justin. 
as well as the Pixelated Podcast. It's all about them video games with Stephen K. James. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.